All right, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9, we're picking up our study in verse 23. Hebrews 9, verse 23, and uh, this is God's word, Hebrews nine twenty-three. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is... He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That, of course, is a reference to Jesus. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a short story of my testimony is that I essentially grew up in an atheist home uh, until about third grade. So my mother was uh, truly an atheist. My father was a non-practicing Catholic, and uh, that's about the same thing. I mean, I think he, my dad would have said, uh, that he's Catholic, like somebody might say, I have brown hair. You know, it was just like, yeah, brown hair, Catholic. I mean, they were just, they were an atheist couple. We were an atheist family. And then uh, a pastor moved in two doors down. They still lived the, uh, two doors down from my parents. Bo- both sets are living after all these years. Same houses after all these years. But um, so my whole family was led to Christ. And so around fourth grade, I came to know the Lord, I think. And um, I was baptized around in fifth grade or so, and I was in church from then on. I was in church and youth groups, potlucks, and all that stuff. I think I was saved. I don't think there was ever a question in my mind as to what I believed. Um, And then in the late 70s, I came across this band I'd never heard of. Uh, I don't know if you heard them or not, but the Beatles. Anybody heard of the Beatles? And I came across this band, and you know, when I was growing, I didn't. I had never heard of the Beatles because when I was growing up, that's that was I was a tiny little kid, and so I discovered this band kind of after the fact. And I'm like, wow, these guys are awesome. And listen, I'm a huge Beatle freak, and. Uh, you know, our church music program is very much influenced by Beatles music. I don't know if you know that or not, but I mean, they've just very much have shaped the sound of Grace of Anne because they've shaped my sound. So, yay, Beatles love Beatles. But, you know, as the Beatles were kind of going through their just 10-year history or so, they got into like Eastern mysticism and stuff and the Maharishi uh, and all that stuff, George Harrison, and that got me kind of interested in it. And I remember buying a couple books on meditation and about Eastern religion, and I was kind of searching around, and I, I was really thinking, you know, is this, is this my parents' religion? Is it my religion? I was just kind of shoring up what I believed. And so I was asking, you know, kind of ultimate questions that a young person might ask, uh, even as someone who grew up in the church. What really does happen after death? I mean, think about it. There, there are all kinds of angles that, that world religions can take, and it's often depicted in Hollywood movies. You can get all avatar about it, 
and uh, turn into this kind of, um, uh, you know, you die and you get kind of you, you redistributed into the, uh, the spiritual mist of things, you know, uh, Avatar, if you remember that, that whole kind of new agey, sucked into the tree, bleh, kind of thing. Or you can get all Lion King. Um, you can get all Lion King and it's all a part of the circle, Right? It's all a part of the circle of life, Ablangada, whatever the song is in there. And, uh, you know, it's just this circle. Oh, it's the circle. And it sounds so wonderful, doesn't it? Oh, we just, we just kind of get redeposited back in. Basically, you're spiritual fertilizer, you know? You get put back into it, your fertilizer. And, you know, it made me think of um, Alas and Did My Savior Bleed um, and Did My Sovereign Die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? You know, worm is a very strange lyric to sing. Not a very flattering lyric, isn't it? Is it? But, you know, that's, that's what the, the writer's saying is, hey, we die, we go into the earth, and the earth takes the body back. I mean, we're of dust, and the earth takes the body back. And um, that's basically the idea of uh, the whole Lion King thing, is that uh, you just kind of, you're fertilizer for everything else, and you're all part of the circle of life, okay? So you could go that direction. Or you could um, go this direction. Uh, that you labor and labor and labor. Somewhere after death, there's this opportunity to labor uh, and still earn that uh, salvation that you missed, uh, that you didn't earn in this life. You could, you could go that route, too, if you want to. Um, or how about this? Do 70 virgins await us? Is that, is that paradise? Is that what happens after death? 70 virgins await us? Uh, that, that's really weird in the brochure, by the way, Muslims. Um, I mean, just that, you ought to just go, eh, this might be a weird religion. By the way, what do the girls get? I mean, 70 awkward men? Does that sound like paradise to you? I don't know. Uh, it doesn't sound like that great of a deal. Um, or, ladies and gentlemen, is there really a personal God, a personal God who personally relates who communicates himself, shares himself, has made this, this, this people um, with whom he wants to fellowship. Um, and, is, and this people can enjoy his glory and his beauty and his presence unobstructed forever. Is that a better portrayal? Is that a better idea? That's the gospel message, ladies and gentlemen. It's a beautiful gospel. And so the biblical answer is this, that we being creatures of time, we have a starting point, right? We didn't exist before. God did. We didn't exist before. God made us. We have a starting point. We are creatures of time, and we live our lives in a linear way. It's not a big circle where we just keep getting deposited into the muck. We live in a linear way, would say Augustine. And that means that history is moving somewhere. Okay? It's not just a big postmodern swirl, an eastern swirl. History is moving somewhere. That means experiences matter. That means history is heading somewhere. That means that our lives are going somewhere. Um, what we go through really does matter. There are concrete spiritual realities. So all to say, there's a giant event in our linear human history, and the giant event is that the Savior has broken in to save. And so... Uh, The big idea I would love for you to walk away with today is this. All that had to be accomplished to secure your soul has been accomplished. All that you needed to be safe, all that you needed to be right with this God has been accomplished in the Christ, the one who broke into human history, your human history. Your story is a part of God's story, and the Savior broke in to save. So history is heading somewhere, and the same Christ who judges 
says the text, is the same Christ who brings his own safely home. That's a huge word of hope, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's go to the first point, which is the session of Christ. Let's look at verse 23 together. It says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. It's talking about the sacrificial system that was happening before. Um, um, But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now, I would like to read that again, only in a different translation. Um, Does anybody have a New Living Translation in here? I bet you don't. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. This is rather a nice uh, rendering of this. So let your eyes fall on your copies of God's Word while I read this other translation. It says, uh, of verse 23, That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. All right, and so you see that there's a lot of repetition in the book of Hebrews. Um, there's a lot of reasoning things out, but there's a lot of layering and layering and repeating thought to emphasize and, and clarify and take things a little bit deeper and reinforce meaning and all that. We'll, we'll talk about this more in our next point, but for now, let's spotlight verse 24 with this particular idea. It says, so it's talking about in heaven, um, things are, you know, you've got this earthly copy, but then you've got this heavenly reality. You've got this heavenly reality, and that pulls us into verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which would be the, the earthly copy, right? But uh, into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And so you've got this real permanent sacrifice, this real priest, this real mediator in the real place, in the very presence of God permanently. Now, into heaven itself. Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, if I asked you what the most important event in human history is, uh, what might you say? Well, you might say Christmas. I mean, the advent of the Savior. Okay, that'd be, a, that'd be a good answer because that's certainly a part of, uh, of uh, the redemptive theater, right? I mean, Christ breaks in, he's born, he takes on a human nature. That's a, that's a pretty big event. We celebrate it. Uh, you might say um, the cross, indeed, the atoning sacrifice uh, accomplished there for us, I would agree with you. Um, some might say, hey, the resurrection, the defeat of death itself, the, the thing that secures uh, the fact that we're going to be okay, that Christ was not defeated uh, by death. That's uh, true, okay? So lots of wonderful things that surround this redemption. And most Christians can get kind of this, this order of redemptive mile markers right. You say, okay, what's the most important event? Well, it's the Savior breaking in and saving us. It's true. All that's, that surrounds all that, okay? But people will get the order. They'll go, okay, birth. We got that. Birth, right? Birth into this world. Yep, good. Um, Let's see, uh, perfectly lived life, human life, sinless life, very important. Uh, how about his death? Yep. How, how, about, um, how about his um, resurrection? How about his ascension? But it's the last one that people often forget. Does anybody know what it might be called? Huh? His return, that's true. There's, a, there's one in between, though. You got birth, uh, death, burial, resurrection, ascension. Huh? Ooh, somebody said acceptance. What would you say, Steve? Right hand of God. Indeed. He's right at the right hand of God. The sacrifice was accepted. What? Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. Let's stick back to this. Um, 
the sacrifice was accepted. He's at the right hand of God. Those, those, that's the right answer. Uh, a, a fancy way to say it is that Christ is holding session. All right? Another might, a way to, might be to say that he is uh, dynamically, royally ruling and reigning. His dynamic rule and reign. He's holding session. That means he's the governor of the universe. He's the head of the church. Now, now. Um, that's a very important thing because that means that he is indeed at the right hand of God. The sacrifice indeed has been accepted, and he is now interceding and interceding and interceding and interceding and interceding forever. He is holding session, and that is a critical thing for you to embrace. Now, Jesus is interceding on our behalf. All that had to be accomplished to secure your soul has been accomplished. And Jesus Christ is holding session at the right hand of God. Now look at verse 24, if you would. Um, Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God, here it is, on our behalf. All that had to be accomplished to secure us has been accomplished. A thing has happened. Uh, Yes, it's true. Uh, It secured the outcome. But ladies and gentlemen, it continues in efficacy. It's perpetual. It's a continual work. It's a session that goes on forever and ever and ever. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what makes your soul secure. All right, so application for your life. You know, um, in verse 23, uh, it talks about the the purification of... uh, earthly copies of heavenly things, the purification of those things. That's a a reference to the Jewish sacrificial system, right? It's talking about the stuff that had come beforehand, uh, um, the blood of the covenant, sprinkling of the blood uh, on the tent and the vessels and the people and all that stuff. A very strange thing, this this issue uh, of blood in the Bible. But here's why. You know, in Leviticus 17, 14, it says, for the life of every creature is in the blood. Its blood is its life. Not hard, to, uh, not hard to figure out. If the blood is not flowing in you, you are cold and you are dead. Uh, the life of a thing is in the blood, saith the Scriptures, uh, medically true. Um, in Leviticus 17.11, here is a very important um, verse in the Bible on the atonement. Listen to this. For the life of the flesh, the life of a thing, is in the blood. And here's what God says about it. I have given it for you on the altar... To make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. That's what, that's what God is saying. Uh, the writer of Hebrews interprets it this way. You know, in verse 22, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, remember, this is a Jewish guy writing to Jewish people about their Jewish law and their Jewish heritage. It's all Jewish. He's writing to Jews who would understand and go, oh, yes, I remember the uh, sacrificial system and how vivid it is to see blood shed on a regular basis. I mean, you've got all these different... uh, uh, offerings, you know, sin offerings and grain offerings and peace offerings and, and guilt offerings and so on. And it, it communicates um, the, the, the divine realities to, to finite and limited creatures. It, it communicates heavenly realities in a, in a vivid way. The message is this, friends. The message of the gospel is this. God is burning in his purity and his righteousness and his justice. See, that's, that's the problem is we don't, we don't consider him that way. We, I think people think of God as kind of a patsy in the sky. 
It was just kind of bumbling around and the earth is unfolding and there's all kinds of ugliness and he's just like, what a mess down there. Hope to dup. That's not the God of the Bible. He's burning. You know, the Bible calls him a consuming fire. Um, that his eyes are too holy to even look upon sin. He's burning in his purity. That is a big problem for a sinner. Now, by the way, I think if you asked a Jewish person who had never even heard of the New Testament, never, not heard of it, but let's say never read the New Testament, you say, hey, Jewish person, you read uh, our Testament, the Christian Gospels and, and epistles and, and, and the story of the, the Christ who we believe is the Christ? No, no, I would never believe. Okay, so, well, let me ask you this about your Bible, Jewish person. Uh, let's talk about your Bible. Would you say that there's any spot in your Bible that would teach something like, I don't know, let me think, the wages of sin is death. Is there anything in, in your Bible, in the Torah, uh, that might uh, teach the wages of sin is death? I think a, an earnest Jewish person would go, yeah, I got one right here for you. Um, easy enough. Listen to this. Um, yeah, the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's pretty easy to spot, isn't it, in the second chapter of the Bible? I would say, you could say that that says, a paraphrase, the wages of sin is death. God says, don't do this. If you do this, you shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, there was such a big emphasis to the Jewish people on blood because it was a vivid thing that this infinite God could communicate to a finite people so that we could grasp, hey, wait a second, sin is very serious because God is burning in his purity and his justice. It was a symbol uh, that, that was to communicate by its repetition, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, blood after blood after blood, the wages of sin is death. Repetition uh, was the message. Repetition was the purpose. A lack of finality was the message, which brings us to our second point. Repetition and finality. Look at verse 25 of our chapter. Um, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. Uh, it goes on to uh, kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek say, for Christ would have had to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Um, as it is, he's appeared once for all. It's not like Christ has to die on the cross and die on the cross. It's not sacrifice after annual sacrifice after annual sacrifice after annual sacrifice. Not that. Christ is the final sacrifice, not like the priests, which showed the insufficiency of the sacrifices, pointing us to the one who would be the ultimate and permanent and final sacrifice. Now, those are a couple of big verses in, in, uh, chapter, in, in verses 25 uh, and 26. Um, let's look at it uh, one more time, um, just kind of break it down a little bit. Chapter uh, 9, verse 25, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. Um, look at the end of that. Once for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The end of the ages, that idea is that, that the time had come for the Savior. The time had come for the final sacrifice uh, to appear. And so, along with the importance and the dramatic example of blood that the priest showed over and over again, uh, the other thing that the sacrificial system brought to light was the impermanence of it. 
All right, so the people saw year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice. It was impermanent, and um, uh, repetition was built into it. Um, one commentator, F.F. Bruce, the trustworthy F.F. Bruce, says this. The early, excuse me, the earthly sanctuary and the priestly ministry associated with it were but faint foreshadowings of the spiritual and heavenly order in which Christ exercises his perpetual priesthood. Perpetual is a strong word. As his people's representative before God. And that's why he's called the great high priest, ladies and gentlemen. Because his sacrifice was once for all of God's elect. It doesn't happen to have, have to happen again and again. You don't have to walk the aisle again and again. You don't have to rededicate your life again and again. Um, the work has been accomplished for you, and the priesthood is perpetual. And an application for you is this. What that means to your life is that your conscience can be at ease. You can look at your life. You can look at your past. You can look at the past week. You can look at the past few days. You can look at the things that are coming up and go, ah, it's a good thing God intervened because I am lacking in faithfulness repeatedly uh, more that I don't know of than I do know of. That's big trouble. But I have this perpetual priest, this one who is perpetually intervening on my behalf. The sin debt has been paid for. And one other commentator wrote this. I just loved it. I, I just... I wish I wrote this so I could, I just wish I could tweet this. He said, um, Christ has exhausted the fury your sins have deserved. Is that not a great quote? Friend, troubled heart, heavy heart, uh, person grappling with security, person who's looking back on things in your life and you go, man, 28 years ago I did this horrible thing that's just insurmountable. I don't know how I can climb out of it. I don't know how my conscience could ever be free. It's so heavy to me. Or you do something in the next few days or a week or two or 10 years from now, and it's just so heavy and you can't believe you did it and you stepped into it. Friend, Christ has exhausted the fury your sins have deserved. In that you can rest. The the, the Savior's work is perpetual, permanent, uh, never stopping on your behalf. All right, our last point, reason to hope, if that wasn't reason to hope enough. Um, And by the way, notice the word I chose for this point. The word is reason. When you reason something out, you think something out, right? So you you go to things that you can hang on to. You, you, You don't suspend all intelligence when you come to the gospel. It's not that it's not otherworldly. It's not that it is um, something that is supernatural and uh, not simple to believe. It is certainly w- uh, foolishness to the, the world's wisdom. Uh, it's not saying that, but you don't suspend all rational thought when you come to the gospel. There is an equation that the, that the gospel presents, and it's a, it's a logical equation, all right? And so before we get to the reason to hope, let's look at the reason the Bible gives to be very scared. Okay? If, if we're to be hopeful, then there's a, there's a flip side of that. The Bible gives a reason for people to be very scared, uh, and that would be in verse 27. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, that's coming your way, you do know that. Just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, and there's a good news after that. But the tough news is, the scary news, is it's appointed for you to die and after that comes judgment. That seems to be a very clear statement in the Scriptures, doesn't it? 
I mean, there's no like backup plan. Uh, there's no little special place you get to go and work on it a little bit more and try to get a little bit better and earn your way in. That's anti-gospel anyway. Don't buy another gospel. By the way, in case this is unclear to you, you want to hear the Savior's words? Here's what Jesus says. Whoever believes in me is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Friends, don't buy into another gospel. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I showed a, a, some pictures of the, the Pope and his, his band of buddies um, in their garb, all these different world leaders at the World Trade Center. I mean, you got white outfit, you got an orange, uh, 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 what do you call it? the guys at the airport uh, the, from de- years ago? Not anymore, but uh, Hare Krishna. You got uh, all kinds of sashes and turbans and all these outfits, these holy outfits and robes and scarves and stuff like that. You know, you look at those guys, and let me tell you, um, Jesus was very tender to the sinner, from prostitute to tax collector, very tender. And Jesus would be very tender to an earnest clergyman of another religion who was seeking answers. I mean, he would be very tender to that, to that, to that heart who is seeking. But Jesus was very tough on clergy who were preaching another gospel, very tough venomously tough, and rightly so. You know why? Because they are leading sheep to their death. They're in the business of leading sheep to their death, and I'm mad about it too. Righteous indignation. Um, You want to know the truth? Um, The truth is it's uh, another gospel. This is the gospel. The the message of this book is the gospel. You know, um, let me just read you a few things. It is by grace you have been saved. That's called God being nice. That's called God reaching out. That's called God intervening, saying, I will pour out my grace on the undeserving. All right? That's not very confusing, but to reinforce it, you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift. So you got it? It's God's favor that you haven't earned And in case that's confusing, it's a gift. You know what a gift is? Somebody gives you a gift, you didn't pay for it, you didn't demand it, they gave it. It's a gift. That's the message of this book, that salvation is a gift. Um, It goes on to say, not a result of your working on it, not a result of you trying hard to be a better person, the best person you could be, it's a gift. It's God's unmerited favor, it's a gift, it's not because you tried hard, so that no one may boast. That's the end of it. So that no one can say, look what I did. It's saying the same thing, the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. Hey, here's another one. Um, Want to hear the truth? Here's the truth. Um, We know that a person is not justified. So you think about a courtroom and the judge's gavel falling. Not guilty. A person's not justified. Not guilty. By works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by working at it. It's not because you were the best person you could be that you were found just. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the biblical truth. Nothing else is the truth. That's the truth. All right? If you believe the Bible. Here's another one. This is from Romans um, 3. Listen to this. Um, 
Here's the truth. What becomes of our boasting? Um, oh, look what I did. Oh, I tried to be the best me I could be. I, I sincerely tried to be the, tried to be the, the, the economy and the, the, the uh, ecosystem and uh, we, all that stuff. Recycling? Me. Uh, what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of a law? Law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's what the Bible teaches. That's the gospel that the Bible teaches. Here's the reality. The reality is, ladies and gentlemen, as the Apostle Paul would put it, he says, hey, Galatians, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we... This is the Apostle Paul saying, hey, if apostles preach to you another gospel, or even if an angel from heaven preaches to you from another gospel, he says, let them be accursed. He says it again. If it's a contrary gospel to the one you received, let him be accursed. That The word is anathema. You know what it means? Damned. That's what the Apostle Paul's saying. Anybody puts on a fancy outfit and preaches a different gospel, let him be damned. Because he's leading, or she is leading, lambs to the slaughter. Don't you, want, don't you want the truth? This is the gospel as the Bible presents it. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. But here's the good news. The good news is, and it's the best news humanity could ever know. It's verse 28. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin. No, no, no. That's been accomplished. He said, it is finished on the cross. It is finished. Your soul can take rest. But he's going to come, and he's going to save those. Not save you again. Not die on the cross again. It just said that. But he's coming to get you. He's going to bring you home, those who are eagerly, eagerly awaiting for him. That's the good news of the gospel, friends. That God has accomplished it for you. And he is not going to forget you. The Savior is going to return and gather up his own, his subjects. All right. Last thing, we'll close. Um, you know, when, when Bloodworth was planted years ago, it was just kind of a, I, I, the only stipulation, was, was any, is there anybody in here? I doubt it. In the very first Bloodworth class, beside my wife? Anybody? So that's kind of how it works. <laughs> The, the greens were in it? Yeah, you were, weren't you? Okay. Well, you know, um, we had a class naming uh, comp contest. Hey, let's name the class. And it was really fun, and it was kind of silly. And, and, uh, and, you know, so we narrowed it down to three names. And, um, you know, there were silly names. Like one of them was like the, the Rhinestone Cowboys or something like that. I mean, it was just names that people, and everybody voted on it. We, we thought of these, th there were three choices. And... Um, and I started thinking, you know what, i got to pick a winner today. Uh, so it had been going on for a few weeks, and I had them up on the chalkboard. Back then there were chalkboards. I had it on the chalkboard. Hey, these were the three names. We were going to vote on them. And uh, I don't know, I just, as we got closer to having to pick one, I was like, you know what, in about 15 years, none of these people will be here except my wife and, and the Greens. Uh, 
and I'll be stuck with rhinestone cowboys in the bulletin looking like an idiot, you know? And so I completely overrode it and got everybody mad at me and went with Bloodworth because in the meantime, Joey and I had a conversation and he and his mom were going to start a bookstore called Bloodworth. Uh, and I was like, Bloodworth, it's genius. And the, the verse I assigned to it was um, Ephesians 1.7, which, uh, let me just find it super duper quick, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, yeah, yeah, Ephesians 1.7, um, listen to this, in Christ we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us. I'm like, you know what? Shorthand for that verse is blood worth. Um, you don't have a self-esteem. You've got a Christ-esteem. You have blood worth. And isn't it kind of cool in all this talk of Hebrews, 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 that blood is actually in the name of our class? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Blood worth. That's where your worth comes from. That's where your safety comes from. That's where your eternal security comes from in the worth provided by the Savior, the sin debt that was, play, that was paid. Last thing, just a, a short presentation of the gospel. I, w- I, was, I was thinking about this as, we were, as I was studying, and, and I was born into a... Uh, I, there, there were no salad bars in the in the world I was born into, you know? Salad bars kind of came at some point where, oh, salad bars, Ooh, who knew thought? Oh, I can put some salad on there. And so salad bars come around, and, and it took several years before the sneeze guard was invented. Uh, so there was no salad bars, and all of a sudden there were salad bars, and then, uh, you know, restaurants figured out that as soon as somebody goes, oh, or some little kid sneezes all over, people are like, ah, I'm done with that. So they invented the sneeze guard, which, you know, that's, I'm sure that's quite sanitary as well. You've got this thing that, uh, anyway, all that to say, very easy, easy principle to understand, isn't it? That if somebody walks up and goes, uh, 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 that the salad bar is kind of ruined. I mean, you don't want to put it on your plate. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the problem with sin. I mean, the, the salad bar has been ruined. Your, your, the salad bar of your soul has been sneezed upon. It's been polluted. In fact, one commentator uh, said that if God, the God uh, accepted sinners as they were, the very presence of God would be polluted. If he's burning in his purity, if he really is holy, then if he has something impure in his presence, what does that do to him? He's not holy anymore. So he must judge sin. Justice must be upheld. And that's why you feel such a pressing, burning need for justice. When you see injustice, you long for justice. It's because you've been created in God's image. That's the whole message of the gospel. That's the problem of sin, is that God's justice, his purity, his holiness has been challenged, and he must judge it. But at the same time, he loves sinners. So what he does is he takes the very righteousness of God, the requirement in Jesus, and Jesus comes to this earth, takes upon a human life, and lives that human life perfectly. Then he lays that life down in the place of the sinner because he's able to. He's not a sinner. He's able to lay it down. And that's the math equation of the gospel, that you couldn't do it. You're guilty, but God, in his love, while we were yet sinners, provided a Savior who paid the full price and is now holding session, interceding perpetually for you forever and ever and ever. In that, your soul can rest. And that, ladies and gentlemen is the message of this book. Shun everything else. Rest in this. Holy Father, we're um, humbled because um, 
why would we have any interest in you? Um, plenty of people don't. Major portions of the world don't. They, they, they're, it's a Christless, godless, religionless existence. And um, here we are, thinking rational people, believing some pretty fantastic stuff. Um, we thank you for showing our finite mortal um, souls um, your heavenly, divine, otherworldly, supernatural realities through very vivid and uh, profound and even shocking things. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for pulling us towards you, uh, even with the world's resistance and the resistance of our own hearts. Thank you that um, pastors move in next door to uh, people and share the gospel and um, that the Spirit makes it effective. So bless our time, Lord. Bless this message. Whatever's true, Father, I pray it would stick to souls and it would, they would not be able to be shaken. But whatever is false, Lord, might it roll right off as if it were never said. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.